Isn't it a privilege to know that we have, directly from God, a commission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we are his chosen vessel to bring the truth of God's word to other people. I went to Rob's alma mater, alma mater, that's uh, Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. When I was a student there, Bob was a guy that I met in class. We hit it off and we started hanging out together. And As our friendship developed, I knew that Bob didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I decided I'm going to share the gospel with him, and I did. So I presented the gospel, and after I was finished and I invited him to receive Christ as a Savior, he hung his head. And I thought, oh, is he getting ready to pray? And then he looked up at me and said, no. And I thought, okay, well, he's not ready yet. And then he said, and I'm really not interested in discussing it again. And then I thought, wow, did I do that bad a job sharing the gospel that I've turned him off. And then he hung his head again, and he looked very sad, and he said, so I guess you're not going to want to hang out with me anymore, are you? You see, he had had several people share the gospel with him, and when he chose not to receive Christ, they dropped him like a hot potato. And he had formed the opinion that Christians were sort of like gospel gunslingers. We go in, share the gospel, if they pray to receive Christ, great, we carve a notch on our Bible, kind of like the uh, cowboy on the six-shooter, and we've scored another one for the kingdom, but if they're not interested, then we are not interested in them. And he was sad. So you know what I said to him? I said, Bob, we'll still hang out, and we did. We started to grab lunch together, there was a student center where we would go and shoot pool together, and we just did life together for several months. And then you know what happened? Bob started to ask me questions. I started to answer as best I could. And one day Bob said, Rob, can I go to church with you? I was shocked, and I said, well, sure. And the pastor gave the perfect message so suited to Bob that I couldn't have spoken in his ear and suggested a better sermon. And at the conclusion of the service, while heads were bowed and while we were praying, and I was really praying for Bob, Bob tapped me on the shoulder, stuck out his hand, said thank you, and he talked with someone after the service about receiving Christ. You see, Bob needed to see not only the communication of the gospel, but a context for the gospel. And in order to have that context, there had to be contact. And so that's what happened with Bob and I. We needed that interaction for him to listen to the gospel. That's very much what we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to see as we engage with this text that it's important for us to communicate the gospel, but in communicating the gospel, there has to be the context for the gospel. They have to see us live out the gospel in our lives. So that's what we're going to see together. Now, first, let's look at communicating the message that God has given us in his strength and in his way. And what we find as we come to this text is sometimes as we share the gospel, there's going to be conflict. Certainly there was conflict with Bob and I as I shared the gospel. 
And don't you find, as you share the gospel with many people, there is initially this sense of conflict. Not everybody is ready to hear and receive the gospel. Look at the first two verses of the second chapter in 1 Thessalonians, and look at what Paul writes. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, here's the good part of the gospel. When Paul went to Thessalonica and shared the gospel, people responded. There was a church that was planted because of the message of the gospel that was brought to them. But that was not without conflict, because look at the second verse. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. If you read the book of Acts, you find that what Paul is summarizing in that one verse was a series of persecution that he experienced as a result of sharing the gospel. When he was in Philippi, he had to be smuggled out of town because he had shared the gospel and people so opposed the gospel message that he had to leave quickly and quietly. When he came to Thessalonica, the same group that opposed him in Philippi followed him. And they came to Thessalonica as well. And they were there to stop Paul from sharing the gospel. There were those who were a part of the church of Thessalonica who heard the gospel even in spite of all that stood opposed to the sharing of that gospel. And what Paul relays to us in this text is this truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ can overcome the greatest of conflict and the greatest of opposition. You see, it's the gospel that has the power to transform lives. Not Paul's ability as a speaker, not the fact that Paul was able to just be stubborn and hang on in the midst of so much persecution and conflict. No, it was Paul being faithful to what God had called him to do and sharing the gospel in God's way. I love what he says in this second verse, that though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Do you see that? The ability that Paul had to share the gospel came from a boldness that was supplied by God. It wasn't Paul just gritting his teeth, trying very hard to share the gospel as effectively as he could. It was a dependence on God. There are situations where you're going to find it very difficult to share the gospel. You're going to find that everything in you is saying, man, if I share the gospel in this context or in this situation, it's going to go very badly for me. But you can go forward in the boldness of God and you can share the gospel effectively because God equips you to do what he calls you to do. Paul knew that. As he shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, he knew that he could do it in the boldness of God and the strength of God. Around the world, there are believers that face significant persecution, and yet they share the gospel. In China, estimates tell us that there are 200 million believers in a country where persecution 
is strong. Our church had the privilege of meeting one of those converts to Christianity, Rachel. She was an exchange student that one of our families took in. And when Rachel came to our church, she had found Christ in China. She heard through someone simply sharing the gospel at a birthday party that she was invited to, and she came to Christ. She wanted to come to the United States. She wanted to go to a Christian high school, so she did. And she started coming to our church. Rachel's mom came to visit her one time. And we were conversing, Rachel, her mother, and I. And her mother said, would you consider baptizing Rachel? You see, we can't baptize her in China. But she wants to be baptized to follow the Lord in obedience. And I didn't even have to think about that for a second, right? When I heard that, I said, absolutely. And Rachel gave the most beautiful testimony of faith in Jesus Christ about how she trusted him as her savior. What a beautiful testimony of how the gospel transformed her life and the life of her mother. So here, Paul is saying that with the Thessalonians, he had come there, he had faced conflict, he had suffered persecution, and yet, with the boldness of God, he continued to share the gospel. That's something that I think we can take away from this text, that if you're frightened, if you're concerned, if you're nervous about sharing the gospel, you can share it in the boldness of God. You can share it in his strength. Now, when we come to verse 3, we find something else. God is there to help us in the midst of conflict. But we also find that we can count on God rather than on man-made gimmicks. You see, some people, as they share the gospel, think, well, I have to package it just right. I have to somehow share the gospel with some tricks of the trade so that people will respond to the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. In other words, when Paul shared the gospel, he didn't come in and have trickery as his vessel for sharing God's truth. He didn't have to package it in some way that would deceive people. He didn't have to butter people up. He didn't have to use many of the things, the devices that we would use to try and win someone over in order to convince them of something. When we have the gospel, the gospel is sufficient to transform lives. We don't have to learn tricks of the trade. And look at what else he says in this text, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. See that contrast. You see, rather than coming in and sharing flattery with the people, what is flattery? That's buttering someone up so that you can get what you really want, but you're not really sharing your intention. You're buttering them up to get them, to manipulate them into a place to where they're compliant, right? 
that isn't what Paul did. Paul shared the gospel in its simplicity. None of us like to feel deceived, do we? There was a friend of mine that was one of those guys that always had an angle. There was always something in it for him. So he invited a bunch of guys to his house for fellowship. We went to his house for fellowship to watch a football game, and for one half, we enjoyed, you know, we each brought chips and dip and pop and shared it. And then when halftime came, he breaks out an easel, a whiteboard, a pen, and he starts to present a pyramid scheme. And basically, he invited us all to work for him and funnel our money to him. And we felt we had been had. We were deceived, and we didn't much like it. We weren't ready to hear anything that he had to say. And you know, I think that same thing can be true of the gospel. If we try to use flattery, if we try to use deceptive techniques in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a dangerous thing. It can be more counterproductive than productive because it relies on human effort rather than the strength of God. When we look at this text, Paul is telling us that we need to avoid basically two things in verse 4. Look carefully at that fourth verse. He says, after he had been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, that he was not there to please men. These are two perspectives that we have to keep in mind. Number one, when we share the gospel, we are sharing the message that has been approved by God. That's powerful. That's crucial. I don't need to add anything to what God has said is right, do I? In fact, I can't add anything to what God has said is right. When I share the gospel, I am one approved by God, sent by God to share the gospel, but I am also sharing a message that is approved by God and sent by God. So rather than using human techniques, I use the truth, the simplicity of the gospel itself. And then secondarily, don't look for the approval of men. Look, if I'm worried about what others think, about how I'll be received, then I will never do anything that would, I would perceive be a risk. I would avoid it like the plague, right? When we share the gospel, we have to take self off of the platform and look at what God has called us to do and share God's truth in God's way. But then we come to another principle. Look at verse 7. When we come to verse 7, we find the right way to share the gospel. And look at the context of this. We care about our listeners. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. You know what I've found in my 35 years of pastoral experience? Really communicates with people when they sense that I care about them, they'll listen. A lot of forgiveness in the way that I share the gospel, in the clarity with which I share it, when they sense 
that I love them and I'm genuinely concerned with them. They'll listen. Look at what Paul compares his care or concern with them with. In the seventh verse, he says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Isn't that a beautiful image of care? That unconditional, committed love that nurtures and cares for an individual. You know, Paula is so much better at that nurturing thing than I am. Changing diapers. I'm putting on a hazmat suit, and I'm staying as far away from it. I I do it if I must, but I'm really not interested. And then Paula changes one of the grandkids' diapers, and she's making a game out of it, playing with them, you know, actually close to the offending area, you know, (laughs) and just smiling from ear to ear. I, on the other hand, you know, kind of like this. I am not real interested. Anybody else want to do this? You know, not nurturing. That nurturing of a nursing mother is, is, is even that much more, just that tender care. If you really want to share the gospel effectively, you're going to show that tender care, that compassion, that love that touches people's hearts. I love what he says in that eighth verse. He was affectionately desirous of them. And he had shared not only the gospel of God, but his own life. That's what we're to do when we share the gospel, when we communicate the truth of God. We are not just sharing that message. We are sharing us. We are representing the love of Jesus Christ. And he is to love others through us. That's how we effectively communicate the gospel. We need to be those nurturers, those people who love, those sacrificial servants who serve with themselves and not just the message that we're given. We need to find that people literally and actually become dear to us. Isn't it essential that we develop relationships? That we demonstrate to people our care, our love, our concern for them. That's how we effectively share the gospel. But you know, we could have the greatest of communication. We could even have this nurturing look. But there's also a context that we have to come to when we share the gospel. And that has to be the context of a godly life. Look with me at the ninth verse. And here in the ninth verse, it goes on to say this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, the first context is this. Paul was not a prima donna. When he shared the gospel, he didn't come in and say, I am the most important person here, listen to me. As he interacted with the Thessalonians, he came as a humble servant. He was there to labor and to toil, and this is in direct contrast to many of the false teachers. You see, in the first century, there were teachers who were professional teachers, and when they would come into a community, they would come in and they would demand attention, and they would say, I am the expert, listen to me, follow me. Paul didn't do that. 
When he came in to share, because of his love for the people, he came in and he labored and he toiled. And he didn't demand that people treat him like he was an apostle. He simply served. And this is what God would have us do. In fact, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 26. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God wants us to be that kind of servant. He wants us to come with a humble attitude. Listen, when you share the gospel and you give off the impression that you are holier than thou, that you're so much better than the person that you're sharing the gospel with, they pick that up and they won't hear a word that you have to share. But when you come in in humility, seeking to serve, that's the context of life that gives communication an ear to be heard. God wants us to share in that way. God wants us to share it effectively by loving people, serving them, being that kind of person for them. Not seeking to be a burden to them, but simply proclaiming the gospel in the context of service. You see, the gospel itself is the power of God to salvation. Paul said this in the book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the gospel is best presented when, first of all, we choose to be a servant to others. Second principle as far as context. We need to conduct ourselves in holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct to you, believers. Now, when I share the gospel, there has to be a framework where I don't distract from the gospel. If my life is demonstrating itself to be radically inconsistent with the message of repentance that comes with the gospel, people won't hear a word that I have to say. Now, bear this in mind. I am not saying that you have to live in sinless perfection because if that's the case, I will sit down right now. Not even close to that. But what I am saying is this. If I am not seeking to lead a holy life, a righteous life, a blameless life, then the words of the gospel that I share will become confused and muddled. People won't hear what I'm saying because of the distraction of my life. What does the scripture mean when it tells us that we're to lead holy lives? Holy very simply means that I live apart from sin, that my worldview matches up with God's worldview that I have set myself apart to who God is. And I am seeking to live 
in the way that God would have me live, in a way that reflects God's holiness. That's my responsibility. Righteousness means that morally, I seek to do what God has called me to do. I seek to do what is right, and God is the determiner of what is right. So when I lead a righteous life, I'm leading a life that is in tune with what God has said is right. And then blameless. Blameless means that we are the kind of person that if somebody said something about us as far as us being sinful or wrong, a person's inclination would be not to believe that. Listen, you have a significant problem if someone says something very bad about you and said, yep, I could see that coming. We don't want to be that person who is considered to be immoral, unrighteous, unholy because of the context of our life. If we're going to share the gospel effectively, we want to lead lives that demonstrate a care and a concern for the things of God. Otherwise, the message is completely muddled. Finally, look at verses 11 and 12. In the 11th and 12th verses, we find that we are to consider how our walk can help others think about God. Look at verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his own children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know what the scripture is telling us there? We as believers sharing the gospel need to walk in a way that is worthy of our God. You know what it means to walk in a way that's worthy of God? It means that my life will reflect who God is. If I'm sending a representative, and I'm saying to that representative, hey, I want you to represent me, say an ambassador to this foreign country, if that ambassador goes to that foreign country and everything they do is offensive, everything they do is the polar opposite of the policies that I've put into place, the ideology that I hold to, that person is not representing me well and they are not conducting themselves in a way that is worthy of their position or of the country that they represent, right? I want an ambassador that I send to be a person who goes and represents well. One who demonstrates my belief system, my value system. One who demonstrates that they are part of who we are. This is what God wants of us as his ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians, the word of God tells us that we are ambassadors for God. In 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 18, it says this, and this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Isn't that a beautiful text? 
You and I are ambassadors for God. And as ambassadors, we need to walk worthy of our calling into the kingdom. You know, you are the first impression that people will have, in many instances, of what a follower of God is like. So we have to carefully and conscientiously lead lives worthy of who we are those who are a part of the kingdom of God, representing God, representing his gospel in the best possible light. A number of years ago, I read a book called Lifestyle Evangelism by Joe Aldrich. Wonderful book about sharing the gospel. And he gave an illustration that really stuck with me. Think of our lives in the gospel very much like you would think of lyrics and a musical score that would back up the lyrics. The gospel would be the lyrics, it's the message. Now, if you package those lyrics with music that isn't distracting and that beautifies the message itself, then you have something that communicates powerfully. But if you have a cacophony of noise that's going on that will distract from the lyric, No one hears the lyric because they're distracted by the music. Listen, what God wants us to be is that beautiful song. Our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the way that we follow God, that's the music to the gospel. We're either going to distract from the gospel or help people to listen more carefully to the gospel. And our objective is to help people listen more carefully. We are to communicate the gospel But as we communicate it, it's to be in the context of a life that seeks to communicate the gospel by a life that is consistent with the things of God. The encouragement that we find in this text is an encouragement that I filter through my thinking on many occasions. I ask myself as I share the gospel with neighbors, with family members, with folks that I encounter in grocery stores or anywhere, have I been the music that will make the message something that people would want to listen to? It's amazing how people watch us. It's amazing how people pick up cues from us. And often that context is developing over weeks and months and even years but just context alone won't win them. Just living a good life won't win them. There has to be the communication of the message as well. So my encouragement to me and to you and to all of us is be that communicator of the gospel in the context of a godly life. That's how we see people find Christ.